Welcome to Mike and Jeff Fighting Leftists. I am Michael Taylor, and my host, the other host, is Jeff. And we'll be talking about first is the VP um, presidential debate. So for the debate, Jeff, I guess what were your over, overall feelings of it? Let's let's start there. I guess the the quick synopsis I'd give for the vice presidential debate is. Contrary to what I've seen in the media post the debate, Mike Pence won that debate handily. I'm not saying that because I'm biased and a conservative, even though this is a conservative podcast. He, just, he did hands down win that debate. Kamala Harris was dancing around topics. Um, she was smug. She came off as, um, as whiny at times. She came off as arrogant at other times. She did not do a good pre presentation of herself, of her platform, of Joe Biden. Um, Mike Pence, on the other hand, painted Donald Trump in an extremely good light, made him look far more presidential, um, made himself, Mike Pence, look really good, uh, pushed the conservative message, explained the achievements of the Trump-Pence uh, administration extremely well, and he hammered Kamala on some really important topics, I felt, and kind of refused to let her off the hook when when she tried to dance out of a question. Now, granted, he never got any answers to a lot of those questions, packing the court being one, but he at least forced her to basically say she wasn't going to answer it and and made her look bad in the process. So I think Mike Pence, I couldn't uh, I couldn't have asked for a better debate performance from a vice president. Now, the important thing is the vice presidential debates don't really mean anything. I don't think they sway anyone. I think they're less important than the presidential debates that I already said is unimportant. But I think he did a fantastic job, even if the debate was meaningless in itself. Yeah, um, my personal opinion is that Pence also won. And I would give number two to the fly because that's what everyone was talking about. No one was talking about Harris at all. One thing um, I guess I wanted to bring up was that um, Harris kept saying, Jeff, I'm or not Jeff, um, Mr. VP, uh, I'm speaking. And a lot of it seemed to, to resonate with a, a lot of black women, um, at least when I say most black women. I'm saying talking with my mom and my fiance um, and they, they talk about how, you know, in the corporate war world, um, they often get overlooked and overtalked, um, and, I, and I, I get that where they're coming from from the corporate debate or from the corporate world. But with Kamala Harris being the VP, and with her potentially being president, because let's be real, most people believe that Biden is not going to make it through his first term. She needs to be stronger than that. So, in my opinion, she didn't seem very. Um, presidential or vice presidential you know this is politics and you, you have to be ready to to go to war with this um and like i said i understand you know having to um fight to, to get your voice heard um and you know i have to do that as, as well I'm not i'm not saying that as a as a black man i'm saying that just in the engineering world everyone is speaking over each other and then the person who wins is the one person who keeps talking and is completely ignoring the other people so, you know, I can I can see both sides, but I felt like that was a, a ploy in order to win the the black female vote, which I, I I think it it won. She won in that regards. That being said, the black female vote was mostly Democratic anyway, so and that victory that she got only really means anything. 
Yeah, I so that's an interesting perspective that obviously I don't have. But look, I'll say this about the Jeff, I'm speaking comment. You can identify as a black woman, and then feel free to. to... It is, that's true. In 2020, I can be I can be a black woman if I want to, but. You were a six-two black man. Uh, our first podcast. <laughs> yeah, today I am a fifteen-year-old Thai boy. Now, honestly, in all seriousness, so about that, the, the I'm speaking comment, the worst part about it to me was, I agree with you, she needs to be willing, she needs to be able to handle it and able to, the bigger thing to me was it was so stiff and so robotic and, and to be frank and to be blunt, it was, I, I, I have a hard time understanding how it can, how anyone could have felt it came off as natural because it wasn't, it was clearly pre-planned. Um, even the times in which she jumped in, it was pre-planned. It was rarely at a time where she was being genuinely interrupted. Then Pence and, and Kamala did not have the same type of back and forth interruption battle that Trump and Biden had oh, not a few weeks not ago. Close. So her I'm speaking comment was clearly meant to try and do exactly what you said, but it felt robotic. It felt stiff and it felt completely fake and, and unnatural and inorganic in the debate itself. And by the way, um, Pence got about five minutes less speaking time than Kamala Harris even with the quote interruptions that he had in the debate. So you want to talk about fair debate moderation. He got less speaking time um, three or four times. He was cut off on a one minute on a one minute segment at 47 seconds. So there was nothing about the I'm speaking that felt anything more to me than a pre-planned I'm going to do this. And it's going to seem, it's going to seem like I'm taking my power back. It was faux feminism at its worst, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I agree 100%. And I, I just have a problem with Kamala Harris acting as a, a feminist, essentially because, you know, during the, the during the primaries, she pretty much said that um, Joe Biden's a rapist, and now she's his uh, VP runner. So she called him racist and, and sexist and a rapist, and I'm still going to be your VP. So it, it, overall, it's, I just don't buy her pro-feminist um, talking points, I should say. Yeah, she, I felt that her entire performance, and look, it's not, it's not surprising to me that her performance was stiff, was unnatural. She doesn't, she doesn't engage well with the audience. She doesn't engage well with the American people. That's why prior to any primaries, she dropped out of the Democrat nomination process because she couldn't even get enough polling performance to stay until Iowa. So the uh, the fact that she did poorly at engaging with the American people in a televised debate really isn't surprising to me at all. I would have been more surprised if she came out and looked good. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't I still don't understand why they um chose Kamala Harris. And I think we talked about this uh when she was first selected, but they should have went for the best VP pick, not the best black female. And that's, that's clearly what you see. Well, what's really funny about it is first of all, I mean, I don't think she was the the best, even of the black female uh, potential picks, but what's funny about it is, you know, they, they, they didn't attempt to find the best of anything. She wasn't the best black female. Um, I genuinely think that I think there would have been Susan Rice would have been a better running mate 
than than Kamala Harris. I think that there are a lot of others. Um, the uh, mayor of Atlanta, um, uh, whose name escapes me at the moment, would have been a better pick. Stacey Abrams, to be honest, might have been a better pick. Um, but what's even worse is she can't. I think she she won what governor? She's she's busy. Yeah, she's she's the governor of Georgia. Didn't you know? But honestly, Kamala Harris was the worst of all of them. And she, so she's not a good black female candidate. She is not a um, good candidate for moderates. She's, she was the most liberal candidate that could have been chosen by far, which is actually why I think she was chosen. I think that the democratic, the DNC kind of, they needed a black female and they wanted to really cater to the far, far left fringes. And Kamala Harris is the most liberal senator in the Senate. Let no one mistake that because it is, Pence said it on the debate stage and it is a factually correct statement. Yes, I think um, YouGov is what is the one, the website that says it. What's funny is, as I agree with you, that they, they try to um, attract the, the leftist um, party, the leftist, um, but none of the leftists like her because she used to be a cop. <laughs> so it didn't accomplish anything. Yeah, it's, she's, she's not an attractive candidate to anyone really. And again, I mean, if, if the goal here was to pull the black female vote, A, that was going to swing largely Democrat in the first place. B, I don't think that she's going to pull any more, she's going to pull anyone in that wasn't already going to vote that way. She's not, she's not going to change people's minds. I don't think Kamala Harris connects with anyone on any level. She is almost as stiff and robotic as Hillary Clinton. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think, you know, I think we talked about this before, but I don't think Trump won the uh, presidential um, race in 2016. I think Hillary Clinton lost because this, this should have been a, a slam dunk for Democrats. And somehow they they messed it up. Uh, one being they picked Hillary Clinton and two, you know, the fact that she just skipped over, you know, the, the entire middle of the country. So it's well, just, you know, I, so I agree with you, but I th what's funny is I think that that's, I think that's really par for the course. I think that's an example of how the Democrats think. The Democrat Party, regardless of what they say, regardless of what their ads say, regardless of what Joe Biden says on a debate stage, does not care about middle America. And if you are listening in middle America and you think that I'm wrong, I implore you to find evidence supporting that fact and write the show and let us know in in the comments on um, any of the places where you're watching podcasts or anywhere, how you've seen that the Democrats support middle America, because they don't, they don't support coal miners in West Virginia. They don't support farmers in Iowa. They don't believe that the country is anything other than the coasts. And so Hillary Clinton just telegraphed that. That was all it was, was she made the mistake of letting her inward beliefs dictate where she, where she went and actually campaigned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the Democratic Party is pro-union, not pro-the union worker. I mean, that's just a good way to summarize up, summarize it. Yeah, they're, they're, and and I wouldn't even go so far as to say they're pro-union. They're pro-union if the union supports them. Yeah, yeah. They're, they right, are pro-large right, right. voting block. That is all they are. They are pro-voting block. They don't care about immigrants. They care about the immigrant voting block. They don't care about unions. They care about the union voting block. They don't care about Catholics. They care about the Catholic voting block. That is all they are. They are a well, well organized, I must admit, machine dedicated to winning elections 
and usurping more and more power from the American people. Yeah, very true. Very true. So let's get into the debate, Mike. Yeah. So the, the first topic was COVID. Um, so I actually kind of spent quite a bit of time looking into this just because I've been, been reading up on COVID, you know, since it started. So let me just go into um, first the questions. The question was, would a Biden administration do in January and February that a Trump administration wouldn't do? Would you impose new lockdowns or on businesses in schools and hotspots, a federal mandate to wear masks? So one, just want to point out that didn't answer the question whatsoever. I also want to point out that her opening statement, um, Harris, is, well, the American people have witnessed what is the greatest failure of any presidential administration in the history of our country. To contrast that with uh, Pence, he said, Susan, thank you. And I want to thank the commission and the University of Utah for hosting this event. And Senator Harris, it's a privilege to be with you on this stage. So right there, you can see the, just the difference in personality. And I just think Pence is a more genuine, um, if not bland person um, than Harris is. And she was going straight to the into it. But one of her, the first statements she made, she said on, on January 28th, the president and VP learned it was a deadly airborne and it affects people. So first off, COVID-19 being airborne has still yet to be determined. That they're still doing studies to see if it's actually truly airborne. What it is right now is that it passes through two people through the respiratory drops that you, you know that you breathe out or, or that comes through your nose. And that's just why we have the six feet rule. So first off, that airborne statement was wrong. Um, she also said that it affects young people. So as of October 7th, there was about 200,000 deaths related to COVID. For young people, and young people I'm saying from zero to 24, the total deaths were 441. 200,000 deaths for everyone in the United States for people from zero to 24 is 441. Now, I'm just an engineer with a master's degree, but it sounds like it's not really affecting young people. And in comparison to total deaths for, your, for young people is at 41,149. So what she already said on 20, about the information that the president and vice president received is wrong. Then she also says that he didn't tell the people until March 13th. So I just went back into the timeline and looked at the, the two weeks following the January 28th. And mind you, um, by January 20th, they were, had already started working on the vaccine. So January 29th, um, they formally announced the White House Coronavirus Task Force. And Trump actually tweets some photos of that meeting. Um, and then the U.S. Um, already starts to evacuate the State Department employees from Wuhan. So that's the next day. Um, the day after that, we actually get the first person-to-person -person, person transmission um, confirmed in China. So before person-to-person -person transmission was confirmed, we already have the White House starting the Corona Task Force. The next day, January 31st, they declared a public health emergency and imposed the mandatory 14-day quarantines from people traveling to China. So that's essentially the, the travel ban from China, which became effective February 3rd. Um, on, also on February 3rd, 
the WHO chief said that it was unnecessary to interfere with international travel and trade. Um, and then February 4th, FDA issues an emergency use authorization for the CDC diagnostic kit to test for the virus. February 6th, the first COVID-19 death was confirmed with no recent foreign travel. So that essentially confirms the person-to-person -person spread in the United States. February 9th, governors were briefed by the White House Coronavirus Task Force. And then February 11th, the Department of Health and Human Services expands partnership with Johnson & Johnson to expedite the development of a coronavirus vaccine. So this is the two weeks after the January 28th, um, the president received information. So it sounds like he let the people know by, through his actions, what was going on and how serious the coronavirus was. So, you know, the, the third statement that Harris made was that they still don't have a plan and that their plan is that um, it will be around the national strategy for contract tracing, for testing, and for administration of the vaccines and make sure that it will be free for all. That's nothing new compared to what Trump's already doing. Nothing at all. The only thing is that um, for the administration, for the vaccine to be free for all, Trump's plan is we're gonna make, we're gonna pay for a bunch of vaccines and those will be free and then the rest will be low cost. That's the only difference that I see between the Biden-Harris plan and the current Trump-Pence plan. Uh, there, there's another big significant difference, and that is that Joe Biden has said directly via tweet and in multiple interviews that his first day on the job, he would immediately seek a federal mask mandate. And I'd like to go out here on the record. I'm not going to go into my own tangent about the coronavirus because um, I sure? mentioned in our very first episode that I have said from day one, I don't think it's as severe as the media makes it out to be, even with the 200,000 deaths, many of which I personally believe are, are um, misrepresented. And there is a lot of evidence from Project Veritas, as well as many other news sources, that many of those COVID deaths are being attributed to COVID un, uh, incorrectly. But I, we could go off on that tangent for a long time. I've made my opinion known in the past on this podcast, um, and even my own co-host may not entirely agree with me on that and that's fine but i will say this the federal mask mandate both would serve zero purpose because they have there has been no evidence that masks are doing anything to prevent the spread of the virus as evidenced by the fact that we are seeing no we, we are if we are if we're seeing slowing then why are we not reducing lockdowns or Maybe the masks aren't doing anything and we don't need to have a mask mandate. Regardless of any of that, though, even if you think masks are, are necessary, the federal government has no actual authority to enact that mandate. Zero whatsoever. Nor do governors in any state in the union, mind you. Um, but that's a whole separate issue that we could get. Again, we could get into my feelings on coronavirus at a different time. But that is another big difference between the Biden-Harris uh, administration and the Trump-Pence administration is he has openly said that he would do that. And he also wants to go back into lockdowns. He has expressed that. He expressed that himself in the presidential debate. So that is another big difference. He would push more businesses to be closed. Um, those policies would force more businesses to close, which is Harris's close entire close permanently. So that is the other issue. The other thing I wanted to, to jump in on, because you're right, they, they keep going back to the statement that Trump hasn't done enough, that he downplayed the virus and that he didn't do anything properly. One of the number one things I've seen on mainstream media reporting is that, um, you know, 
basically supporting what Biden has said and that saying that Biden never said something that I'm going to read you the exact quote from Joe Biden's author, uh, from, from, from Joe Biden's verified account on Twitter on March 18th, 2020 at 2.35 p.m. Oh, wait, wait, posted, wait, 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 wait. I have one from February 1st. Can I read mine first? Go for it. Okay. So just want to paint the picture again. January 31st, Trump declares the travel ban. February 1st, this is a tweet from Joe Biden. He says, we are in the midst of a crisis with the coronavirus. We need to lead the way with science, not Donald Trump's record of hysteria, xenophobia, and fear mongering. He is the worst possible person to lead our country through a global health emergency. Perfect. So February 1st, so they that is acknowledgement that they know Trump was handling it. And then again, on March 18th, he doubled down saying, stop the xenophobic fear mongering, be honest, take responsibility, do your job. So they can they can try and twist the narrative now all they want in October and act as though Trump didn't do anything about the virus. And again, whether you wherever you fall on the coronavirus, whether you think it's the worst thing that's happened to mankind or um, being completely overblown or somewhere in the middle, and I'm sure that there are people listening to this that have all those opinions, um, especially based on the the side of the aisle we slant to. Um, no matter where you fall on that, there is no debate that Donald Trump handled this. You can debate on whether or not you agree with his actions. You can debate whether or not they were effective. You cannot debate whether or not he took it seriously and took action. They, if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris wanted to come out and say the actions he took were the wrong ones, they didn't do, they weren't effective, they didn't do enough, and we're gonna do something, we're gonna do X, Y, Z different, that would be one thing. But as Mike stated, they've said they're going to do everything that, Joe, that Trump and Pence are already doing. And as far back as February 1st, Joe Biden acknowledged that Trump was doing something by being xenophobic and banning travel from China, which, by the way, is where the virus started, no matter what anybody wants to try and spin this as. And I also just want to point out that the first time Trump actually mentioned um, the coronavirus was actually in on January 20th in the State of the Union address. So he was talking about this before, um, way early. Um but no one really was paying attention because he was being impeached at that time. But anyways, um, so one thing is because we were talking about the ban, the ban did save lives. And actually, Dr. Fauci said that, um, that the, the ban saved lives. So if you guys get a chance, you can go to the, the YouTube channel of PBS News Hour and type in watch uh, Sclazy as Fauci, the travel ban saved lives. So not only was Dr. Fauci involved in that decision, he also says that, yes, without doubt, it saves lives. And then one final thing, or I guess two final things I want to talk about for the coronavirus. Um, says Biden, or not Biden, Pence says that under President Donald Trump's leadership, Operation Warp Speed, we believe we will have literally tens of millions of doses of a vaccine before the end of this year. So on the... Um, um, on the Operation Warp Speed's website, the first thing you can read is their goal is to produce and deliver 300 million doses of a safe and effective vaccines with the initial doses available January 2021. So I just want to point this out um, because I feel like Pence is being a little misleading um, because I believe the um, vaccines will be available or will be around this year, but probably won't be distributed until next year. So just to be fair and try to be fair and, and impartial, I just want to point out 
a uh, misconstrued statement or misleading statement by Pence. Um, and I also want to point out, because we were talking about the, the I'm speaking, the first time she actually got caught off, cut off was in this topic, it was by Susan Page. So Susan, Susan Page, who's actually writing a book for Nancy Pelosi, so, you know, she sounds impartial, but she was cutting um, Harris off because it was Pence's turn, and then Pence started to speak, and then Harris was like, I'm speaking. Yep. So that's one at the eight minute, 53 second mark. <laughs> yeah. So just wanted to point out that she started it. Yeah. And, and again, that's what I'm saying. This was, I believe it was pre-planned that she was going to use it every opportunity she had. It wasn't organic. She, he wasn't interrupting her there. She had been cut off by the moderator and Pence was asking for time, which is what you do in a debate. Uh, it, it goes back to my initial point. This was not organic. It was planned as a debate, as a campaign move. Yes. I still think she planned to fly. I can't prove it yet, but once I do, this will be the the 2020 news story of the of the of the, <laughs> of the year. That'll be the expose that makes us makes us huge. Yes, right there. Move over, Ben Shapiro. We're on your back because we've got these fly expose. Yes, blow this whole thing open. Exactly. Democrats train flies to land on <laughs> white men's head. Um. And then I also want to point out uh, uh, just a horrible statement that Harris made uh, where she said that if the public health professionals, if Dr. Fauci, if the doctors tell us we should take it, uh, referring to the vaccine, she'll be the first in line. Absolutely. But if Donald Trump tells us that we should take it, I'm not taking it. And that's just a stupid thing to say. And I am glad that Pence caught her out on it because, you know, in 2020, we're getting more and more polarized. So her saying that is could literally be keeping half the country um, from deciding to take the vaccine. Um, so however you feel about the vaccine, your your political um, who you're voting for politically shouldn't be influencing you on on what you do with that. So whatever you whatever you did last year or the year before regarding vaccine, just do that. Don't listen to um, don't listen to Harris and her her comments. Yeah, it's it's undermining not only the the effectiveness and and again I won't get into my own opinions on a lot of the coronavirus things, but it's undermining the effectiveness of the government to be able to manage this crisis, if you want to call it that. If if you believe the pandemic is a crisis, then to actively undermine the president's the president's leadership and say. I'll, I'll support Dr. Fauci or I'll support blah, 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 but I won't support anything the president says, even if it's in a, in alignment with, or in coming from experts that are working for the president, then you are actively undermining the ability to get out of this pandemic. And oh, exactly. that's, they've been doing that for six months because this pandemic as tweeted by AOC back in, let's say April, March or April, I'll find it and I'll pull it up and send the tweet. The tweet has been, pulled down after, but however, the joy of the internet is everything screenshot and people found it. Even back then, AOC said, we've got to keep this pandemic going because it's bad for Trump. It's, you know, there, there is no doubt this has been politicized and that, and her statement is pure politicization of it. Oh, definitely. Because you can't say, I'm going to listen to Dr. Fauci and then call it the China um, travel ban xenophobic. Those are Two to two to opposite ends of uh, of your belief system, unless your belief system is just to undermine Trump. 
Um, so then getting into the topic two, they were just asking about the president's um, being owed and both of them on, um, didn't answer the question. So Pence, um, he went back to the coronavirus because Harris said that um, stupid statement. And then Harris started talking about just just nothing important, like nothing at all. Um, so the, yeah, so the, I'll, I'll read the I'll read the first the first sentence. So let me tell you first of all, on the day I got the call from Joe Biden, it was actually a Zoom call. Asking me to serve with him on his ticket was probably one of the most memorable memorable days in my life. I, you know, I thought of my mother who came to the United States at the age of nineteen. Gave Almost as memorable as when Joe Biden tried to keep little girls like her from going to an integrated school. Just want to throw that in there. Thank you. Uh, gave birth to me at the age of 25 at Kaiser Hospital in Oakland, California. And the thought that I'd be sitting here right now, I know would make her proud as she's must be looking down on this. So I know they both didn't answer the question. At least Pence said something relevant. I don't, that, that means absolutely nothing to me. Except to, to pander to a certain demographic to get the votes. That's all, that's all Harris's answer said to me but you know if you have anything else on the topic number two feel free to share but that's all i had no i i thought it was a i thought it was a, a silly question in the first place we talked about this off the air i don't think that it really served any purpose in a debate it doesn't do anything to talk about policy it doesn't do anything to talk about governance it doesn't do anything to talk about the the administration or their viewpoints it was an opportunity to make a campaign speech, which is not what a debate stage is for. Um, I thought it was a ridiculous question by the moderator, um, which is more evidence that the moderators serve zero purpose. Um, and I, I agree with you that at least Pence had some relevance in his answer. Um, Kamala's answer was ridiculous and overblown, but the whole thing was, I, I thought it was a ridiculous question for a debate in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so the other topics I wanted to talk about that they mentioned in the debate was the obviously the economy, the Affordable Care Act, um, Amy Coney Barrett, or just the Supreme Supreme Court, and they talked about Trump being racist again, and then peaceful transfer of power. Is there anything else that I may have missed, or you think is a, a priority that we should talk about? I'd like to talk about the peaceful transfer of power thing for a minute because I I, I am so incredibly sick of this question. It came up in 2016 when everybody asked Donald Trump if he would accept the results of an election if it didn't go his way. Refused to ask Hillary Clinton the same thing, by the way. And then- Wait, wait. Hillary Clinton still hasn't gone away. I yeah, just want well, to put that out there. And that's, and she that's exactly She just did like a, a Hulu special a few months ago. So like, what? okay, sorry. No, it's, I mean, you're good. <laughs> that's my problem. That like the the the- the peaceful transfer of power question is absurd to me. There is no idea. What do they think that Trump's going to do? Stand up there with an AK 47 on the roof of the white house and start shooting at people. Yeah. He's, if he loses the election, there will be a peaceful transition of power. The problem here is that there is only one party being asked this question and it's happened twice in the last two elections and they don't ask the Democrats who, and Pence did a great job. I thought answering this question saying your party has spent the last three years trying to undermine the results of an election. And that's the truth. They, they, 
first spent two years on the phony Robert Mueller Russia investigation, which by the way, we now have, un we now have unclassified documents that prove that that was created by, by Hillary Clinton with the knowledge of the Biden administration and, or excuse me, the Obama, Obama, administration. Obama administration. Yeah. Yep. Excuse me. The Obama administration. And, but Biden knew. That's, that's the point you're going to yeah, get. Yeah, Biden obviously knew about it. And so we know that was a hoax. We spent two years and millions of dollars on that. And every day the media talked about it. Then when that didn't work, they moved on to impeachment. And they have spent the last, and they spent all of the beginning of this year worried about impeachment, which by the way, is to your point, why no one talked about coronavirus in January is because we were worried about impeachment. If Donald Trump hadn't, if Donald Trump had been convicted of impeachment and thrown out of office, I guarantee you, you'd never know about COVID-19. None of this would have happened because they would have accomplished their goal. I believe that in my heart. Whether or not people would have died from it is not this, the issue here. The problem is, would it have been politicized? Would you have known about it every day? You don't hear about every person who dies of the flu every flu season because it's not a thing that the media can get ratings for, but it became a political issue. So first there was Russia. Then there was the Ukraine and the impeachment. And then that didn't work. And so now there's coronavirus. And now they're bringing out a 25th Amendment sham thing that we'll get into, which I think is also a precursor for them trying to get ready for removing Biden. But we can talk about that in a minute. But <laughs> yeah, I thought it was hilarious that Trump tweeted out like, oh, this, this must be for Biden. This can't be I mean, for it's <laughs> honestly, I think it's a dual purpose event. And we can talk about that. But it, it Pence perfectly nailed that question. It's a ludicrous question to ask. I don't think it deserves, people are saying, well, why don't they just commit to it? It doesn't deserve an answer. That's why. Because if you ask me if the sky is blue and you browbeat me in the face about it, I'm not going to give you an answer because you're asking a stupid, ridiculous question that doesn't deserve an answer. And this question doesn't deserve an answer because it's ridiculous. Everybody knows on the face of it what this is about. And this party has spent the last three and a half years trying to undo the results of an election. And I guarantee it'll be the Democrats that in November, when Trump wins, are trying to undo the election immediately. Who do you think is going to go to the courts? Who do you think is going to be in the streets burning more buildings down? It's not going to be the Republicans. More buildings, even if Biden did win, uh, black areas, by the way, yeah. would be my guess. Oh, I'm sure of it. And even if Biden does win, the Republican Party, the, the Republican people in the country are not going to do that either. They'll be ticked off about it. They'll be upset. They'll be worried. They won't riot. They won't burn buildings down. There won't be Trump will walk out of the office and it will be all peaceful and fine. The problem is going to be when he doesn't lose. And it's a ludicrous question. So I, I had to hit on that because I'm tired of it being asked. Oh, I agree 100%. I, th I thought it was a stupid question that, that was a waste of time in this uh, in, in the debate process, which is already a waste of time. Um, so I got a question for you. Do you want to switch over to the 25th Amendment really quick? Because that's related to what we were just talking about. Or go yeah, back let's talk to about the... that real quick. Okay. Because this will be this will be short. So for, for those of you who don't know, Nancy Pelosi is introducing legislation to start a 25th, 25th Amendment committee or task force or whatever you want to call it to get ready to investigate if a president is capable of fulfilling their duties per the 25th Amendment or if they should be removed from office. Now, I, I personally think I saw Trump and um, Newt Gingrich even said this, and there are some other Republicans out there saying this is the Democrats getting ready to remove Biden so Kamala Harris can be president, which I do genuinely believe there's a part of that here. Um, because we all know that they want a much more liberal candidate. They do not want Joe Biden because he's a senile lunatic, but he's more electable than Kamala Harris. So 
the goal is get him elected and get him removed. Um, I believe there is a piece of that. However, I actually think there's a secondary piece of that, that I think analysts, uh, political analysts are being, are, are being a little bit short-sighted if they don't see this. I think that the Democrat party's internal polling is telling them something very different than the polls are telling the American people. The polls which tell the American people that Trump is behind by double digits in every battleground state in the union, I first of all don't believe. I didn't believe them in 2016 and here we are and I don't believe them today. I think the Democrats internal polling also is telling them that there might be cause for concern and this is the next in a long line of events to remove Donald Trump from the presidency. Um, now, if if he were to lose the election, I think it's perfectly sets the stage to replace Kamala or replace Biden with Kamala. But I actually think it's more of a fail safe against an election going the way they don't want it to go. So thank you for that. So looking at the 25th Amendment, there's there's four sections. Three of them don't apply because uh, it talks about, you know, if the president is removed from by death or resignation. Um, that's section one. Section two is talking about the vice president, if there's a vacancy for the vice president. Three is if the president um, transmits power uh, temporarily. So the only section I see is section four. So it says, whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments or of such other party as Congress made by law provide transmit to the president pro tempore uh, of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives, their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. The vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office as acting president. So I understand what you're saying, Jeff, but I, I really think it's leaning more towards Joe Biden because Prince will never agree to this and you need Pence in order for section four to work. So it's either only way for a 25th amendment to work in my opinion is the president has to pass away. Trump decides to give up his power or Pence tries to take the power with the uh, agreement of the house. I don't see, I don't see two of those happening. So I, so I agree with you in, in part, um, I, I agree. There's a lot of this that could be setting up for Biden, which if you're a Democrat or you're, le or you're even on the fence and you're considering voting for a Democrat and you think Biden's moderate enough, I'll vote for him, but I don't want Kamala Harris to be president. This should be a red flag to you. This should be something that makes you stand and say, I don't think I'm going to cast that ballot because if you think that they are already setting up before the election happens to remove the president from office and replace him with Kamala Harris, you are essentially casting your ballot for Kamala Harris. And if that's not where your intention is, you should step back and turn away from that ballot and either cast no ballot or vote for Donald Trump because they are attempting to essentially steal your vote for Kamala Harris. The, the piece I wanted to say though is the, the language of section four does allow for the vice president not to be involved. So it says, or this of such other body as Congress May, pro may by law provide. So the, it's when the vice president and a majority of the principal officers of the executive branch, which that will never happen under, under Pence, I agree with you. He's mm -hmm. not going to try and remove Trump, but or Congress may, may by law provide, transmit to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives their written de declaration that the president is un unable to discharge his powers. So Congress has the authority under the 25th Amendment mm -hmm. as well to do it, to come and come to 
the the speaker and to the president pro temp of the Senate and say the the president can't do his job. We want him removed. And so that is why I think it could also um, work against Trump or is why I think there's a dual purpose here. Okay. But that one, that would only work with a um, Democrat majority in the House and and Senate, I'm assuming. Oh, complete, I completely agree. Yeah, it, it's not going to work if we hold the Senate. But yeah, I think they don't believe that. They, I think I think that they're trying anything they can to try and remove it. Right, right. So is the is it the um, use of twenty fifth amendment? Do you know if it's does a simple majority or a super majority? Uh, I don't. I don't. The twenty fifth amendment, to my knowledge, has never been invoked. At least not this. The, the removal of the president via the twenty fifth amendment has never happened. Um, that I am aware of. And I would, oh. I would have to double check that, but I do not believe it's ever happened. So I'm not hundred percent sure on the way in which it would have to work out legally within the Congress. Yeah. Well, here we go. Um, so if the Congress within 21 days after receipt of the letter written declaration, or if Congress is not in session within 21 days after Congress is required to assemble determines by two thirds vote of both houses that the president is unable to d- discharge the powers and duties of his office the vice president shall continue to discharge the same as acting president. Otherwise, the president shall resume the powers and duties of his office. Okay, so it's so, so it's it a two thirds like, vote. Yeah, which they won't get. But I do. I genuinely do think this is setting up for. I think yes, it has a dual purpose and it sets up for if Biden wins. But I think if Trump wins, I guarantee you, you're not going to see if if Pelosi retains her speakership, which God willing. The, the House will shift back to the Republican Party as well, and she will be shut up um, and lose her speakership. But if she retains her speakership and Trump wins, I guarantee you don't see this go away. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But I, I think the American people have stopped caring. Like when you, you throw an impeachment at them, nothing else matters. And then that's my that was my thought at the time is once you throw impeachment at Trump and it doesn't stick, You've now set up for Trump to do essentially whatever he wants in his next four years if he gets in office. Well, yeah, I mean, they I think the I think the Democrats have really eroded their political capital here, which is why I don't think they're going to I think they're going to lose sweepingly in the elections. I genuinely do, because you look at the Kavanaugh hearings. I can't wait to see what they do with Amy Coney Barrett. Um, you look at in a phony impeachment where the articles of, of impeachment that were actually brought against Trump did not. In any, impeachment is all about, for anyone who's not aware of this, is not just something the Congress can use to remove the president because they don't like him. It is specifically for a president violating the laws of the land. And, High crimes and misdemeanors. Thank you. And nothing in their impeachment articles that were sent to the Senate was a high crime or misdemeanor. Even the quid pro quo allegation which was not proven or and was frankly unprovable even that was not a violation of law quid pro quo to be honest with you is how diplomo diploma uh, diplomacy works we do not just give things to other countries without them giving something to us the only reason they said that he was violating the law is because they said he was using it to tamper with an election which again is unprovable and if they had done that they would have actually sent it to the senate as a election tampering charge but they didn't because they didn't have the evidence. So when you when you do phony impeachment, you do the Brett Kavanaugh thing, you do the Robert Mueller stuff, I think they've lost all clout with the American people over the last four years, especially over the last two. Oh, definitely. 
Um, and then, so let's let's talk about um, Amy Coney, Coney Barrett. So I thought one thing I thought that that President or Vice President Prince did that was extremely smart is that he said that I hope you don't um, attack it for her Christian beliefs because as we were saying in our last podcast, that's the only thing that I see that they could really attack it for, and he pretty much made um, Kamala Harris and Biden say that we won't do that. So I don't see anything else that they can attack her for if they uh, if they can't talk, attack her for a Christian Catholic faith. I mean, I think they're just going to break that charge, but I agree. I with do you. too. I think he, but, he painted them into a corner and was it was skillfully done. It was it was the perfect way to handle that question. And then he hammered her on packing the courts, which, which she did not answer, which she did. She did two things that were not correct. One, she completely misconstrued the Abraham Lincoln story that she's told. So I want to give the truth of the statement about what happened with that Abraham Lincoln appointment that they all talked about at no point in time did Abraham Lincoln choose well, not to well, fill the seat. Go ahead. Sorry. So before you, before you get in, she took one example what the Republicans were doing is they were talking about 29 examples. So you have Abraham Lincoln from 1860 versus the entire history of the United States. So her example really doesn't mean anything, but go ahead and continue. True. So Abraham Lincoln in 1864 was her one and only example. And it was completely factually incorrect. I mean, it was factually correct, but spun in a totally inaccurate way. It was historically inaccurate. The reason that, uh, that Abraham Lincoln did not fill that seat when the, uh, when the chief justice had died was because Senate was not in session at the time. The Senate was out of session and he didn't, they wouldn't have voted or not, or, they, or confirmed him anyway. He then in December, um, after the election, but in December, filled the seat and was, had it confirmed the same day by the Senate. And it was at no point in time did he come out and say he wanted the American people to choose or any of any of the quotes she attributed to Abraham Lincoln. None of them came from Abraham Lincoln. They came from Kamala Harris and presumably some campaign manager who's really good at spinning lies. Um, there, there was no truth to what she said. Yes, it is true that there was a seat that was left open prior to an election under Abraham Lincoln. It was left open because the Congress was out of session and would not be back in session until after the election. Thank you. So, so let's 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 talk one more thing about the the pack in the courts. So she she yeah. again she didn't answer the pack in the courts, and I just want to throw this out there. The next day, as has happened regularly now, Joe Biden was questioned about this and actually said the American people quote don't deserve to know <laughs> if he will pack the courts because he the uh, election a reporter was actually asked actually asking him. Uh, would he pack the courts? And he said, I'm not going to answer that. He said, don't the American people deserve to know? And he said, no, they don't. So again, if you're considering voting for Joe Biden, keep in mind, this is a man who does not believe you de you deserve to know where your president stands on the issues. He is essentially the, the presidential candidate version of the Affordable Care Act. You've got to elect him to see what he's going to do. Oh man, um, yeah. So actually, let's let's talk about the Affordable Care Act. Nice, nice segue. Um, so they were going back and forth. Um, so one thing that I wanted to talk about, I wanted to say that Harris was actually true, was um, being honest about 
was that the Trump administration doesn't have a, a plan to replace the Affordable Care Act. You know, re Republicans are saying repeal and replace. Um, however you feel about the Affordable Care Act, um, I feel a certain way about it. Um, but if, you're, if you are going to be, uh, be um, replacing it, it should be like in a sweeping motion. That's just my personal stance. Um, so so how do you feel? So this is an opinion show, not a, I mean, not a newscast, <laughs> right? So so it's okay to share our opinions. We That's what we're here for. What is your opinion on the Affordable Care Act? And, and I agree with you, though, by the way, that repeal and replace means you actually have to have a plan to replace it. And that is something Trump has, regardless where, where I fall on it, and I will give my opinion in a moment, um, that is something he has failed to do. He has never actually published a plan, nor have the Republicans in the Senate or the Republicans in the House published a plan to actually replace the Affordable Care Act, simply the repeal portion of that. But where do you fall on the ACA? Yeah. So my my issue with the Affordable Care Act and the way Democrats are pushing it is that they're stating that it's a right. So that's, that's my, my fundamental issue with it. I don't believe it's a right. I don't think anything that requires... Um, the labor of someone else is a right. Uh, 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 is a right. Um, I don't have a issue with the Affordable Care Act uh, once the um, mandate was removed. Um, I, I personally don't have an issue with the government. Well, I have an issue with the government offering health care, but I have more of an issue of them doing single payer. So as long as there's private insurance um, available, I really don't have an issue with it. I will say when the Affordable Care Act was passed, my insurance premiums went up. So it did the opposite, at least for me, of what it was intended and me, to and do. And just about every other American who had private insurance. Yeah. So I think the only people that really um, had their insurance improved were the people that are in uh, massive unions that, that could be protected. But overall, I understand wanting to get people on insurance, but I think the, the motivation of it being a right Versus something that, as a as the um, greatest country in the world, we can do versus something that we have to do. Your, your motivation to do it um, should be different, and the way it's done it will then obviously change. But no, I think we talked about it last week that you know there's way up, there's more important things that can be done that can reduce the the cost of insurance that the, the four point care act doesn't touch on, which I think makes makes it essentially useless. So I think we talked about the, the patents. So um, this to bring it up again, insulin has been around for about, I think 70 years, 80 years, it's still under patent. That's one of the biggest issues with the healthcare industry. But another issue again is you can have a, a sling that costs $5 to manufacture, but it's sold or billed for $750 because the insurance company decided that $750 is the max we're going to pay. So everyone just bills at that maximum amount that um, fixes healthcare more than the four book care act, or I'm sure more than what the Trump administration is planning to do. Um, making foreign countries actually pay the proper price for a new medicine that the U S develops instead of them saying, um, if we're going to pay this price and if you don't like it, we're just going to steal the patent and make it ourselves. That also is going to do more than Affordable Care Act. Agreed. Yeah. So, that's in general, those are free market um, ideas, not government subsidies or uh, regulation or anything like that. It's, it's less regulation, actually.
Yeah. So I agree with you. I, I think I, I was against the Affordable Care Act with, with the individual mandate, especially because that was the government mandating that I purchase a product, which is blatantly unconstitutional. So the individual mandate, I had a huge problem with the Affordable Care Act in general, I have a problem with because I, like you, do not believe that healthcare is a right. Healthcare is a privilege. Healthcare is something that you pay for. If it was a right, then people would not choose to go be doctors to make lots of money because you are essentially becoming a civil servant and civil servants do not make great money. Yeah. So just to explain what I think a right is, a right is something that you would have if you lived by yourself in the forest, meaning there's no one else around that can provide you something, then you still have a right, like a right to, to speech or a right to defend yourself. You don't need other people in order to exercise those rights. Now, I, look, I just wanted to clarify that. I look at it similarly. I, I will say my, my view of rights is I look at it from a very John Lockean perspective, similar to our founding fathers. And um, great thing to read for anybody listening to this podcast is read John Locke's second treatise on civil government, which is essentially the foundation of what built the Declaration of Independence and later um, a lot of the Bill of Rights. But I have a very Lockean approach to rights. Rights are God-given, God-given indelible rights that are, you have a right to life, liberty, and property. So no, you have a right to defend your life. You have a right to your life. You have a right to liberty, to free speech, to do those things. And you have a right to defend your property. And the government's job is strictly to protect those rights. Now, the argument could be made that, oh, they're protecting your life by giving you health care. No, because to do that, they have to impede on someone else's ability, someone else's right to liberty. Exactly. Thank you. And I just, I just want to say for, for the people who like Affordable Care Act, Name one thing that the federal government does well besides collecting taxes. Literally, the only thing you could name would be the U.S. military. Yeah. We're good at war. <laughs> Our military is great, and I, I will never yes. dog the military. But outside, yes, of I that, agree. outside of that, the post office is terrible. The, the Affordable Care Act has been a blunder since it started. Remember the servers crashing when people had to go do their initial signups and all? I mean, the government is terrible at managing anything, which is, and ultimately making my tax dollars pay for someone else to have health care is the whole problem with the Affordable Care Act. But anyway, you are correct. Uh, getting back to the debate, you are correct. The one thing Kamala Harris said that was true and that, frankly, Trump either needs to stop saying he's going to replace it or needs to come up with a plan is Trump has never once expressed a plan to fix healthcare. So exactly. either either just come out and say, we're not going to do that. We're going to repeal it because it's a violation of, of your rights, which I would be in support of, or come out with a plan to replace it because you can't say you're going to repeal and replace if that really only means you're going to repeal. I'm okay if you say you're just going to repeal, but just be honest about it. Yes, that's what I, that's what I wanted to. I want you to not be a hypocrite. So, so say what you mean and mean what you say. Um, I think the last thing we, I have to talk about is the economy. Do you have anything else? Uh, from the debate? Yeah. Now nah, you can go with the economy. Okay. So question is, would raising the taxes for the economy uh, put the recovery at risk? Uh, yeah. I think that's a pretty, pretty easy question to answer. And Harris did not. Uh, essentially what she wants to do is to raise taxes by $4 trillion. And what's, what's irritating me is that um, Biden and Harris keep saying that they're, on day one, they're going to repeal Donald Trump's tax bill, then also saying that your taxes aren't going, aren't going to go up. 
So either clarify exactly what you mean or stop saying that because um, my taxes went down when the tax bill was passed. Um, actually, the average American, as Penn stated, uh, when it went down $2,000 and then their income went up about $4,000. So we, I said last week, my taxes went down from the Trump tax cuts. It was, it's the biggest tax cut in American history. Trump isn't lying when he says that it's a fact. And that's not just for the rich. That's not just for corporations. That is for average middle-class Americans. It was a massive tax cut. And Biden has said numerous times on numerous stages at numerous locations that he is going to repeal the Trump tax cuts. So for Kamala Harris to start by saying, that Joe Biden's not going to cut tax, raise taxes on anyone who uh, makes less than $400,000 a year is a lie. Because yeah, you're either you're lying then or you're lying when you're saying that you're going to repeal Donald Trump's tax bill. It can't yeah. be both. And there'd be, no be, there'd be no benefit to lying about saying you're going to repeal his tax cut. So it's obvious you're lying and trying to cover it up, in my opinion, because one has value, the other does not. And normally when you lie, especially as a politician, you lie for benefits. Um, there's no benefit in, saying, in lying about repealing a tax cut. I agree. I agree. Um, so along with, with that, um, she said that um, essentially, well, Donald Trump's tax bill benefited the top 1% and biggest corporations of America, leading to a $2 trillion deficit. So we already talked about this, but yes, it benefited the top 1% and biggest corporations and essentially everyone else in America. So if you're going to make that type of statement, I understand it, it's, it's politics, but just, just to clarify, it benefited um, pretty much everyone. And then about the $2 trillion deficit. So um, one, one, um, one policy or, or one group said that, that the tax cuts will cost $2.3 trillion over the next 10 years. Um, so just my general statement, my general belief is saying something over 10 years is stupid when you can change the tax cuts, change the tax bill every four years. Um, that's just, that's just a general statement for me. But one of the things that it assumed that the growth will be 1.7% a year um, in the first three years of the, of the Trump administration saw a growth of 2.5%. So even what Kamala Harris is using to talk about the $2 trillion deficit um, isn't true anymore. So that was something that came out when he did in, in 2017 that's no longer relevant. Well, and let's talk about costs over the next 10 years. If you want to use over the next 10 years, and I know you're not, but if the Democrats want to use over the next 10 years as, an, as a gauge of costs and the impact to the economy, let's talk about cost over the next 10 years and economic plans. The Green New Deal, which Joe Biden wasn't for and was for and wasn't for and was for and is for, by the way. It, it um, is for. And Harris did sign off on that bill. And again, as a missions engineer, that is the dumbest bill I have ever read about trying to make the world greener and cleaner. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. That is the dumbest thing I've ever read. Thank you, Mike. So mm -hmm. cost wise. I, I had to mention I was an engineer at some point during the podcast. You mentioned it a few times, but it's never a bad thing. So I just want to point out, again, decade worth of cost, which I agree is a terrible metric, but that's the metric that gets used for whatever reason. So let's use it. The American Action Forum in February 2019 estimated that the Green New Deal would cost between, and this is a wide range, so that's kind of ridiculous, but the range is still high on both ends, between 51 and $93 trillion 
over the next decade if it was implemented. Mm -hmm. So even on the low end of that, $51 trillion is an astronomical expense. Even if you did that over one year, that's over $5 trillion a year. $5 trillion. The entire GDP of the United States is what, Mike? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. The GDP of the United States for those, and, and Mike, for you, is $20.5 trillion a year. So you are saying that in the course of 10 years, you are going to spend at minimum double the GDP of the United States. So, and, and that, so if we did nothing else and all of the money in the United States economy, because for the record, for anybody who doesn't understand how the GDP works, that is not money that is available to the government. That's not like, oh, they make $20 trillion a year. It's not like you're in your annual income. I make $100,000 a year. No, that is what the entire U.S. economy makes a year. So if every dollar in the United States economy, private and public, went into this, you still could not pay off the Green New Deal in two years. So if you look at, if you think of how much money the United States Congress has access to from tax dollars, because again, I always like to point this out. People say that U.S. government's giving money to the American people or, or they're, you know, they're cutting our tax. They're not doing anything. They're giving you back what is already yours. Taxation is your money. The government makes nothing. They generate nothing. It comes from you. If you do not understand that, if you learn nothing else from this podcast, take that plain concept away that every dollar the United States government spends belongs to the people. So if you look at the, the GDP of the U.S., of all of the United States and all of our corporations is less than $21 trillion a year. The American government brings in in taxes like $2 trillion. So you're saying that in the course of 10 years, you're going to spend 25 times the United States budget a year. Yes. And so for people who, who don't know what the Green Deal, Green New Deal says and why it's so expensive, one of the reasons is they plan to replace all public and private buildings to make them eco-friendly. That's, that's, a, that's a quick summary. What that means is every single building. They want to tear down every single building to make it green. Now, I don't know about you, but tearing down every single building doesn't seem very eco-friendly. They also want to retrofit even private homes. They also want to ban meat because cows produce too much methane. Um, they, Cow parts. They, they, they are, it's, it's an astronomically ludicrous bill. And by the way, in the, in the spirit of what we've done since the first week of this podcast, I fact-checked myself and I was off a little bit on the U.S. budget not 2 trillion. It's 4 trillion a year. So instead of 25 times, it's still 12 and a half times the US budget annually to the pay for end. the low end estimate of the Green New Deal. And I don't remember the, the federal government ever coming in on the low end of costs. No, I mean if the if the range goes up to 93 trillion, assume it's probably actually going to be about 120 trillion by the time it's all said and done. Yeah. You are talking about a holistic overtaking of the United States economy, a complete tearing down of everything. I mean, that bill is insanely expensive. So if they want to talk about the money- Which that no the, Democrat voted for, by the way. I just want to point that out. 
they brought it up and no no one wanted to vote, put their name on that. That is true. So, but so they want to talk about the the cost of tax cuts, which by the way, there is real cost for the, the green new deal, because that is money. The government has to spend. There is no cost to a tax cut. Going back to my initial point a second ago, there is zero cost to a tax cut because that implies the government is choosing not to take my money. It is not, it is not a cost. They simply have to operate with a lower budget. That is not, well, they're not spending money to give me a tax cut. Yeah. Well, well, even, even to your point about operating with lower money, with the tax cut, the government brought in more revenue. Also true. Uh, also very good. And yeah. that happened so, under Reagan, that happened under Bush and it's happened under Trump. Yeah. So anybody who doesn't understand supply side economics and thinks Reaganomics doesn't work, it does. Yeah. The issue is, is that the government then like, oh, let's spend even more money. That's the issue. Is the government doesn't know how to operate within their budget. Not that they don't have enough money. No, well, it's because they don't have to operate within their budget because they just create new debt ceilings and create new issues. And like they, they, the, the debt ceiling, I remember a few years back when their government shutdowns were going on and everybody was up in arms about the debt ceiling. It's such a fake imaginary. No, I don't know why we care about the deficit. I don't know where we, why we care about any of that because it doesn't mean anything. It really They're doesn't. Pay that money back. If that money is meaning it's numbers on a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. It really is. And like, I'm irritated about the, the, the money going up, but it's really not impacting anything, unfortunately. No, it doesn't do anything because I even remember if you recall the last, during the last debt ceiling crisis a few years ago, everyone was talking about the U S government was going to be downgraded by Moody's as our credit rating. What would that matter? So, so China can't lend us money now. I mean, the reality is, first of all, the idea of borrowing money from another country is, is absurd. And the, the, the real fact of the matter is for a country to claim its asset, like to come to the U S and be like, we want our money back. The only real way to do that would be to go to war. So, okay. (laughs) Let's do it. it. Now, that is not me advocating the government spend as much as it wants to spend, because the reality is they have way more money than they need, and they could spend very little and have plenty. So I'm not advocating any of the government's actions. I'm just talking about the the ridiculousness of how we talk about this in general. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. Along with the fact that most of the money that is loaned out is loaned out from um, private businesses. Also true. Mm Mm-hmm by the u.s owned by the u.s sorry so people freak out about china owning our debt and all that type of stuff it literally means nothing unless china's ready to go to war with us and as jeff mentioned the only thing that the u.s government does well is war and our military so they think what what the the biggest air force is the u.s air force and the second biggest air force is the u.s navy something like that something like that i mean we have more military than like the next 17 countries in a in line if i remember correctly yeah and most of those people are our allies as well yep. like we're we're good we're good yeah, i mean it, the the only real threats to the united states militarily are china and russia and both of them are only really threats if we went to war on their soil because china has a billion and a half or two billion people and winning a winning a fight in those in that country would be difficult mm-hmm. and russia you cannot invade russia hitler learned no. that the hard way um, but a fight on American soil would be just as difficult for those countries as a fight would, on their soil is for us. And we have way better arms. Not only that, um, the, our citizens have more guns. 
The American citizen, American citizens own like 52% of the guns in the world or something like that. Yes. That's not including the, our military, just our citizens. Yeah, it makes you proud guns. to be an American. The only thing that makes the only thing that stat does for me is makes me proud and a little bit sad that we that the number is not higher. Hey, if if we get a a, a a real Democratic candidate that's talking about taking their guns, that's the best way to boost sales. Oh, I guarantee you, if Joe Biden wins the election, sales between November and January will be the highest amount of gun sales you've ever seen. I can tell that you what happened with under under Obama. Like it's what happened under Obama. It's what happened during the beginning of COVID. Um, uh, gun sales in Texas have been the highest this year they've been in like 25 years. Yeah. Well, I think every month has broken a record, like so a, month, a month, a month or year to year over year record, even in California where nobody has guns. Well, what's funny, what's funny about California and, and other like liberal States is like, people are like, Oh, I can't just, just walk away with this gun. There's actually, there's actually like procedures before I can get this gun. Yeah, and what's funny is the liberals who don't like that are the ones getting ticked about it. And they're yeah. the ones who voted for all these policies. Exactly. Because you know what? In Texas, I can and do walk away from a gu- with a gun the same day. Exactly. Like, I don't have um, a waiting I was, period. I don't have any of that. I was promised there were loopholes that I could exploit. <laughs> I was told this would be easier than buying drugs at Walmart. That's, I mean, that's the stuff you hear all the time is it's easier to buy an assault rifle, which is not a correct. AR does not mean assault rifle. It does not. Um, but... It's assault, oh, first, assault first of all, assault rifle, and you talk about military grade weapons. Um, the military uses pistols. The problem is the, the whole thing is semi-automatic rifle. Almost every rifle is semi-automatic. I don't want to get into the gun thing right now, but the cons like the fact that people think semi-automatic weapons are the problem is almost every gun is semi-automatic, unless you have a revolver, you have a bolt action rifle, um, you have like what muskets yeah a musket like most weapons are semi-automatic and semi-automatic means you pull the trigger and a bullet comes out and then you pull the trigger again another bullet comes out without having without you having to like cock it back or, or reload it or whatever yeah it's just a bullet bullet is ready for you whenever your your finger is ready to twitch that's all it means it is it is almost every handgun the vast majority of rifles it it's ridiculous but it is really funny to me reading articles from all kinds of websites about people in California. That I was told it was going to be easier to buy an assault weapon than it is to buy Advil at Walmart. Well, news, you know, newsflash, it's not. It's extremely difficult to buy a gun, especially in California. There's a 10-day waiting period. I read an article about one guy who, during his 10-day waiting period, the state went into lockdown and he was unable to go to the store. And so his waiting period expired. He could not buy the gun. 30 days later, he had to go back and try again. And like, this was a guy who had previously been all against guns and was just trying to get his hands on just a gun to defend himself. And it took him like 45 days. Yeah. I don't think people realize, you know, if you're trying to get ready for the apocalypse, you have to do it before the apocalypse starts. <laughs> I've been getting prepared for years. I mean, I've been practicing the blade, Jeff. Bullets run out. The blade never does. All right. Well, when you can when you can cut a bullet in half with a blade, then, then you'll be good to go. You don't know my life. You don't know what I can do. I do know your life, and I do know you can't do that. All right. I'm Find positive out. that you cannot. Listen, I doubt you even have a blade sharp enough to do it. Uh, it's, really not, it's really not about the sharpness. Well, it's about the strength of the blade. 
Yeah, my blades, my my blades are strong enough. They're not probably not sharp enough to like just saw it in half. But if I put it in the way of a bullet, I'm sure it'll deflect it. We're getting way off topic, but we but, <laughs> I mean, we could pull a forged and fire style analysis the next time we're together and go to a gun range with one of your knives and shoot at the thing and see if we can blow, uh, break the bullet in half. Forged and fire does it all the time. All right. Sorry, folks. Um, as we mentioned uh, prior, uh, we all are um, also nerds. So our, our topics will diverge into these random rants every now and then. Nobody wants to hear just politics all the time. Very true. Very true. Even Rush Limbaugh talks about sports. <laughs> um, how are we doing on time? Uh, we got about 15 more minutes. 15 more minutes. Okay. Um, so let's talk about um, the kidnapping or the attempted kidnapping of Whitmore. Um, so before we get into that, um, I just want to make sure everyone's aware about the, the Michigan Supreme Court ruling. And this is something that I was saying uh, back in March, and people thought I was being crazy, which makes sense because only other, only people that were saying it were other crazy people. But what I was saying is that what she's doing is unconstitutional and she can't do it. And then, boom, I was proven right. So all the people that are calling me crazy, I can't say it because... We're trying to be not explicit on this podcast. But think of the worst things I've said to you and just play that back in your head. But going back to this attempted kidnapping. So I think I keep the number keeps changing, but seem, I've seen like six, 12, 13, 15 people try to kidnap Whitmore. Um, I just want to say those are people are idiots and they should go to jail. That's a dumb thing to do. No matter how you feel about Whitmore, you should either um, vote her out or um, have her impeached, have her removed legally, not through kidnapping. I also want to say that at least one of the people was an anarchist, not a Republican or a conservative, who also hates Trump. So I know people keep saying that these are all a bunch of white supremacists. No, they at least one is an anarchist. And I am going to go out on the limb and say uh, anarchists probably only have other anarchist friends. It's a fair estimate, I would say, that one Trump-hating anarchist is probably not friends with a bunch of MAGA hat-wearing Trump supporters. Um, just just a guess. I don't t- particularly pal around with a bunch of Antifa supporters, and I don't think that, they, that they'd that they want to pal around with me. So just a guess that they probably are all like-minded. But yeah. you're right. It's only close been confirmed to, close, on one. Close to. But I, by, just like Mike under no circumstances do I support what they were going to do. Kidnapping the sitting governor of the state of Michigan was both incredibly insane and downright stupid and, and borderline evil. Lock them up. Um, I don't care about them. Yeah. Throw them in prison. I have no issue with that, Bye. but I do want to make a comment and this might be a little controversial, even to you, Mike, I haven't even said this to you yet. I think this is an indicator of where the country is headed if we continue to let these things go. Because we are getting to the point of, now kidnapping a governor is not insurrection. That's that's just straight up criminal. So again, I'm not in support of it, but I think we are getting dangerously close to armed insurrections if you, start, if you continue to see governors have even the Supreme Court of their states come out and say, what you're doing is unconstitutional. You're not allowed to do it. And then for for Whitmer to come back and do what she did, which is basically say, I'm disappointed in their ruling. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, that's not how our division of powers works. That's not how our government's set up. And you're getting to the point where you're going to have armed citizens 
over starting to threaten to overthrow the government. And what what these people were doing is not that. So I want to, I want to separate the two. What these people were doing was just purely criminal activity and stupid, but you're getting to the point where you're going to see more and more good hearted law abiding citizens start to break the law or start to take actions to overthrow the government. Because if the government is being run by executives that choose to ignore the legislature and because the, the legislature of Michigan told her she wasn't allowed to keep doing this. She kept doing it anyway. in April in yeah. April. They, they told her she couldn't. She did it anyway. Now the Supreme Court has said you can't do this and she's doing it anyway. If you continue to have executives say, I am the all powerful ruler of this state, you're going to have the people. Law. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to have people overthrow them because what people fail to remember is that this country was founded on the very principle that that can't happen. And There's so a I'm not, again, I'm comes in America. And that is the reason. That's exactly right. That's people what the second ready. amendment is for. Yes. People stay ready for a revolution. And to your point, Jeff, it's already happening, but it's, it's happening on the left. Like the, the Chaz, Chaz zone in Seattle or the, the Antifa and, um, and um, Black Lives Matter people going to like mayors and governor's homes. I mean, it's already happening. They're just using sticks and Molotov cocktails, but they've they've started to arm themselves with uh with rifles, and and handguns. So it's it's already happening. But th- th- I think this is trying to distract from the fact that it's already happening on the left. I, I think you're. I, I think that's true. And like I said, this is to me this is different. This was a plot of criminal activity. This was a conspiracy, not an insert. Like if they showed up at the Capitol steps. And March, I mean, that, that is different to me, but I think you're getting to the point where you're going to start to see it happen on your right. It's happening on the left. It's going to start to happen on the right because you cannot just declare yourself a dictator of the state of Michigan or any other state in the union and say, I'm going to violate the court. I'm going to violate the legislature. There is no division of powers. I am the all powerful and not have somebody do something about it. The second amendment in this country was created for that reason to keep the government afraid of the people and not the reverse. And you're starting to see too, I mean, you're seeing more videos of people getting arrested for having outdoor church services in states like California. Um, there was a video I watched the other day where the police were, were uh, arresting some folks on the mayor's orders for doing an outdoor church service. You're going to start to see those people start to rise up and, and fight back because you're violating the most fundamental rights of our freedoms and you're going to, yes. and I'm not advocating violence. What I'm doing is, I, what I'm saying is that this country has rights. And the- Not this country, the, the people the, have rights. The people, yeah, the, the, the people in this country have rights is what I meant to say, but you're right. The people have rights and the people will start to get upset. Whitmer, Whitmer should not be targeted for, for kidnapping, but she should be very aware that what she is doing is not only criminal, it's wrong. It's just flat out wrong. And the fact that the the- Republican Party in in Michigan isn't openly trying to get her impeached is shocking to me because she needs to be removed from office. She doesn't need to be kidnapped, imprisoned, murdered. None of that needs to happen, but she does need to be removed from office because she is blatantly now told two different branches of government that are her equals that, yeah, you don't matter. Mm-hmm. Well, just to your point that there there is a, a few positions going around trying to uh, remove Whitmer from uh, from office. And but, there, are, but, there have been but you some, have a Republican legislature. I'm shocked that the legislature isn't doing it themselves. Right. Well, well, they're saying if you bring the signatures to them, then it's then Whitmore can't like cast it down. It was, it was something weird. I can't remember exactly. I'll need to look it back up. 
but using the the people is actually a more concrete way of doing it. Well, and, that, and that's fine. It. And that needs to happen then because what she's doing, again, it doesn't excuse these this plot, but what she's doing should not be overshadowed by what's happening. Yeah. Um, this plot overshadowed the blatant abuse of power from her office. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, I can't think of anything else I wanted to say really quick. Yeah. So, so I guess really quick, I think Whitmore and a lot of Democrats seem to forget, um, at least in the Midwest, is that only the big states or big, sorry, only the big cities are blue. When you look at the 2016 election, you see um, Detroit, Flint, Ann Arbor, um, maybe Lansing um, go blue. Then everyone else is red. Um, Grand Grand Rapids, I think, went blue. No, Grand Rapids went red in 2016. Oh, really? I I lived there. Oh, yeah, yeah, you were there. You were there. Grand Rapids is actually one of the most conservative parts of of the Midwest. There you go. Anyway, go sorry, good point. But my point is, you, I think Whitmer keeps forgetting that just because she won the election, I I feel like they they believe that everyone's a Democrat or there's a huge majority, but no, Michigan is a, a purple state that can swing back and forth. And on top of that, and I, and I think people Michigan, really Michigan went red in the presidential election in 2016. Exactly. I think this is this Whitmore winning is is um I think is more um to Snyder in the in the Flint water crisis than Whitmore being a good candidate. I that's think just, so too. That's, I mean, that's my opinion. No, I agree with you. I mean, it had to do it even at the time. I hated even living in Michigan. I hated Snyder. I am a dyed in the wool conservative and I couldn't stand that guy. Um, he was just better than, um, than the previous governor whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, start with an H, H? anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. But yeah, I, it, Whitmer won because she wasn't Snyder. I agree with you on that. And mm-hmm. that's the problem. We have blatant abuses of power that are being allowed to happen all over the country, you have judges saying that these things can't stand. You have legislatures saying you can't do this anymore. And governors saying, yeah, do it anyway. And frankly, I think police departments and some have started to do this. I even know in Michigan, some have said yeah, they're not going to enforce yeah. her policies and more need to start doing it. They need to start saying we're not going to enforce unconstitutional orders. Mm-hmm. You have a, Anybody who takes an oath of office takes an oath to protect the Constitution of the United States government and the state they live in, um, not to serve the governor. And if if your governor is making unconstitutional orders, you should stop listening to him. Yep. Again, I'm not advocating any violence against what I'm just saying. Stop enforcing her, her orders and make her a lame duck because she is violating the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the state of Michigan. Exactly. Exactly. So we got time for one last small um, topic. So let's just talk really quick about the second presidential debate being canceled. Because there's a whole lot of things around this, all of which are very funny to me. So, Mike, right. why don't you why don't you tell me what you think about this? Why do you think it was canceled? What do you think about it? Do you have a problem with it? Okay, so first question: Do I have a problem with it? Uh, no, I I don't think these debates matter whatsoever. Um, I can't remember who I, I was listening to, but someone was saying that the, the better way to do these debates is to have someone that's clearly conservative and someone who's clearly liberal have them both debate um and answer ask people questions so i think the the liberal person could be grilling down trump and the conservative person could be uh drilling uh biden i think that's that would be I'll, interesting i would actually watch that yeah 
And I they might don't. actually care about it. Yeah, but as of right now, these debates don't mean anything. Um, I thought it was was funny um, that that Trump canceled it. Like, I know I'm not doing a, a Zoom meeting essentially because then you guys can mute me, can, can mute me, and that's that's rude. I need to be able to, to run my mouth whenever necessary, and I don't trust Biden not to be on <laughs> on a bunch of drugs and have um, earpieces and everything like that. I thought it was funny. I don't think it really impacts anything. I don't think there's any really undecided voters right now that was waiting for the um, debate to sway them. If they're, if they're going to vote, they're going to make that decision in the booth, regardless of what the debate is, or they're not going to vote at all. So I I generally don't care. Yeah, I, I also don't care, first and foremost. I've said it as many times as I can think that I think presidential debates are worthless. Um, what I thought was funny was first when they came out and said, we're going to make this a virtual debate and Trump said, well, I'm not going to do it then, which I actually supported because I agree with him. If you're not going to actually make it a real debate, then I'm not going to do it. It's because all that means is what we already believe that Biden's doing, having a teleprompter, having people in his ear um, makes it easier. It makes it easier for them to cut Trump off when, and, and maybe they'll cut him off when he's interrupting and he shouldn't be according to the rules, or maybe they'll cut them off because they're giving them less time. It's, you can argue either way. Um, it's not something that's conducive to Trump's style. I don't think it'd be good. I don't see any reason to do it either. So that was the first piece of, of when no, that was the first news that broke about this is he said, I'm not doing a virtual debate. Then you had the whole Steve Scully thing where Steve Scully, the moderator of this debate tweeted what was clearly meant to be a DM to Anthony Scaramucci who hates Donald Trump about how to handle Donald Trump. And um, Jeff, that was a hack. What are you talking about? <laughs> yes. Of, I love how he was hacked only for one, one text message. that was so randomly posed to Anthony Scaramucci. I mean, the, the fact that he expects the American people to believe that is honestly probably one of the most insulting parts about it. it how stupid do you think we are? I think I find it hilarious. Like, no, nah, I was hacked. Don't worry about it. So, so, okay. So, <laughs> he he then says he's hacked. Then he then so they've got this big the president the commission on presidential debates is under massive fire for this from all pe people on both sides of the aisle actually saying this looks bad. And you know I even saw Yashir Ali, one of the young one of the young Turks, talking about that. And I can't stand that guy. I can't but he's about as far left as you get. And he's criticizing the. I, I try to listen to him. I'm going to be honest. I try to listen to him to get both sides. But honestly, that that side is is too far, too far left for me to to even. He's a lunatic. Care care about at at all. So so even he's criticizing the commission, and then you've got you know Trump coming out, and, and that just five fuels the fire. So then the 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 commission canceled the debate. I personally think not because of Trump backing out, but because of the egg on their face for the whole Steve Scully thing. So I think they used Trump provided them the, the cover fire to get out of it by them mm -hmm. just canceling the debate. What was really funny though, was after the fact, I don't know if you saw this, Trump told Joe Biden, Hey, I'll still do a debate with you. Let's just do it without the commission. Let's go and do a real town hall debate. Um, Joe Biden, to my knowledge has not responded to that request, but that I thought was perfect. It showed Trump was it, in my mind, if you're a Trump supporter or you're on the fence, that shows a lot of strength. It shows I'm willing to, I, I'm not afraid to talk about to, to debate with this guy on the same stage. I'll do it. I'll do it anytime, anyplace. I don't want it to be moderated by some unfair hacks. Um, mm -hmm. 
I, to me, as a, as someone who's going to be voting for Trump in actually in like five days, cause early voting starts here on Tuesday. Um, for me, I thought it showed a lot of strength for others. It probably showed arrogance, but I thought it was the right approach for Trump to come out and say, I'll still debate you, but let's just not leave. Let's not have the commission. And by the way, can we just say there is no need for something called the commission on presidential debates. It's a ridiculous idea. Wait, in 2020, you think that's a crazy idea? It it literally should be who's the most popular um, person right now the, or the three most popular people. And let's go talk with them. Like the fact that there's they don't talk to like Joe Rogan is crazy to me. He's like, oh, the, there's, the top, there's no the way top. Biden's going to go right. talk to him. I know. Rogan. I know. But it's just, it's just funny to me that him or, or Ben Shapiro or um, whoever is like, you're using it a outdated system. And that's why most people don't care about this. Yeah, it's, and again, and debates have become just parallel campaign speeches. They're not exactly. debates hardly ever. And when they are debates, you get criticized for interrupting people, or you get said that your man, you get told that you're mansplaining, by the way, we didn't talk about that with the Pence Harris thing. So I will say just really quickly, anybody who goes out there and says that Pence was mansplaining to, or, or man interrupting, which was the new thing I saw, if, if the vice presidential candidate cannot handle having a man talk to her about her own record and policies, I will not be lectured about my record in criminal justice. I will not be lectured about prosecution. That was the most irritating thing I've ever seen. It was the most smug, arrogant condescension I have ever seen on the debates. Um, you're up there literally to be lectured about your record. That is what a debate is. If you don't want it, then don't do it. So her saying, I'm the only one up here who's prosecuted. Yeah, you're also the only one who's put thousands of black men in prison oh don't forget stuffing stuffing the the state of the california prisons by 167 percent where the supreme court said that was cruel and unusual punishment and then kamala Harris like "Eh, i'll fix it i can fix it her whole i will not be lectured thing which we didn't get into but i just had to throw out there it was ridiculous so the whole mansplaining man interruption thing really bothered me because it's not mansplaining to debate a woman if if that is your belief then you do not believe in equality. You simply believe women are un, are unquestionable. And the only place that is true is inside of a marriage. But outside <laughs> of that, you can question a woman on their record. And he wasn't mansplaining to tell her what he thought of her record because it's a matter of public fact. So that bothered me. That bothered me a lot. Also, by the way, there have been other female candidates and that didn't get brought up. So the fact that they're using that shows to me how poorly Kamala Harris did in the debate because no one said that for Sarah Palin. No one said that for Hillary Clinton. No one said that in previous debates. They said it for Kamala Harris because they had to cover the fact that she terribly sucked in the debates and fell apart. Yeah. All right, go ahead. And just the fact, if you can't handle Pence, you can't handle the other world leaders. Like, let's be real. Yeah, imagine Pence, sitting Pence, down with Vladimir Pence Putin. Is, is like wonder bread compared to, yeah, Vladimir uh, Putin, um, the leaders in the Middle East. Like, how are you going to handle China if you can't handle Pence? Are you serious? You, you can, you can uh, debate with uh, Canada. That's about it. Yeah, pretty much. So it was that whole thing irritated me. And I know, I know we've been off the debate topic for a bit, but I just was thinking about it. And the I will not be lectured on my record is probably the most ridiculous statement you could say. And that's literally the whole thing about, that's what a debate is. Yeah. And so, so one uh, really quick thing is um, Penn said like some, some fire statement. I just want to let everyone know that I thought was 
great. He said, you're entitled to your own opinion, but not entitled to your own facts. And I'm thinking about getting that on the shirt. Yeah, I did. I did love that. I believe that quotes from, um, from some, someone else from, a. uh, uh uh, journalist back in the sixties, but I'd have to look it up, but it was still, it was perfect to throw out in the perfect time to use it. And yeah. he clearly had pre- prepared it and had it in his back pocket, but he threw it out at the right time. Exactly. And like Kamal here is like, Oh, that's a good line. He's like, I know, I know it's a good line. And it's also true because you're trying to twist the reality, twist exactly. the facts. But yes, that's what everyone know. It's any, any of my fans are listening. So fans, uh, friends and family, I want to share that says that. Drop, drop. Christmas around the corner. If nobody else gets it for you, Mike, I'll get it for you, and we can get a picture and put it on our on our page for our podcast. Fantastic, fantastic. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. One more, once more, to Mike and Jeff fighting leftists. I'm Jeff Arnold. He's Mike Taylor. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, pretty much anywhere where you can get your podcasts. We are available. Um, Share us with your friends, family, coworkers. Let anybody who wants to talk about American exceptionalism, conservatism, and to really start to get into the facts of the political debate in America, share this podcast with them, make us bigger, um, let us get bigger so that we can do more things. If we can bring in some ads, we can actually maybe do some do some fun stuff with this. So thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week. All right. Thank you, everyone.